Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. Happy New Year, Con. Thanks, you too. You know, uh, I actually mentioned your name on the air at KBC last week when I was hosting for Leo 2.0. I'm a celebrity. Uh, and I explained to people that the reason our podcast works so well is that we never agree about anything. It's perfect. Uh, you're the progressive. I'm the libertarian mm-hmm. slash conservative. So we're going to keep that going into 2022. And lots of uh, big stories to talk about uh, this week. The Maxwell conviction. Yep. Uh, Ghislaine convicted by the jury. What's next on that front? Karen's in the air. Dangerous activity on uh, Delta Airlines when a lady, lady went nuts and uh, spit upon and slapped an 80-year-old guy. My God. Yeah, she's a um, former cheerleader for the Oakland Raiders. I guess she probably you know, learned the techniques from the from the guys on the Raiders. Who knows? Amy Trask is not going to like the fact I said that. Yeah, terribly rude. Uh, Professional athletes are quite disciplined guys. Sure. And jury selection rules, they are changing. Yep. Uh, so we're going to get into the whole Bob Dylan thing about uh, voir dire here in California. Yeah, very interesting and stuff. And on our... Uh, on our guests, the verdict game show, um, I'm going to be hitting Connor with a real live legal dispute about a Michael Jordan lookalike, Ooh. Michael Jordan, the basketball player. So uh, that is at the end of the podcast. Love it. Before we get to uh, the top story, this embarrassing uh, computer uh, problem I have, Connor, this uh, autofill deal where you, you start yeah. typing something and then the computer is so Uh-oh. smart. Oh, I know what Royal wants to Uh-oh. say. Uh-oh. Yeah, this is, this is, I could wind up in prison as a result of this oh, no. little miscue. So here's what happened. I like to send emails to myself to, to remind myself to do stuff. I know there are other ways you can write it on a piece of paper. Uh, you could put your iPhone alarm on. No, I like to send myself an email. So um, my Mophie juice pack for my iPhone, a little case. We're not sponsored that, yet, but Mophie, call me. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. It works great, except I need a new one. So um, it, it uh, boosts up your battery while protecting your iPhone. Right? Ooh. So I want to buy a new one. So that's okay. I'm, you know, I'm going to send myself an email. Yeah. And the email says, you know, buy new Mophie. Okay. So that's the subject matter. So I don't look at it very carefully, Connor. I'm typing away. You know how those iPhones, they, they just try to take over the assignment for you. Yeah. And I don't really notice what it actually says. I just send it to myself. And a few minutes later, I'm looking at my email. And of course, it, well, it pops up in a matter of seconds. And uh, I'm always startled when I hear the ping. Four seconds after, it wasn't a few minutes, it was just almost immediately. I'm always yeah. startled. Kind of like, you know, the dog who has a flatulence problem. And all of a sudden he looks really startled. Like, where did that come from? Yeah. What yeah. was that about? So, so you I send yourself like, an email and they I go, feel, ooh, an email. I feel like a farting canine <laughs> when this happens. You look like a farting canine. And so here's what I see, Connor, when I look uh-huh. at the iPhone. Yeah. It says, memo from Royal to Royal, uh-huh. buy new morphine. Uh, buy new morphine. I tried to, I swear, I tried to type by new Mophie. So, Mophie, of sure. course, Big Brother is monitoring oh, my emails. So, I've got to fix it. So, I sent myself a second email. Said, no, you did Yes, I did. It said, to Royal from Royal, make that by new 
Mophie, and I spelled it out really I mean, carefully. you're right. They're definitely reading your emails. So if but... Jake Hoover shows up and says, Royal, what's this about buying new morphine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to say, oh, Mr. Hoover, I've got a pain that just won't go away. Mm-hmm. But also, I've got an iPhone that needs to be protected. So Makes sense. I think I'm okay. Either. Well, you'll never be president, but that's okay. <laughs> that's true. Um, so the other thing I wanted to chat about before we get into our first top story about Ghislaine Maxwell is... The other week we talked, Connor, about trying to get a town, a small town in America, to change their name to Too Many Lawyers. Uh Uh-huh. Because, you know, Truth or Consequences, the radio show in 1947 convinced Hot Spring, New Mexico, to change its name to Truth or Consequences. It's had that name ever since. So talk about a great marketing ploy, right? Yeah. So here's the deal. Uh, I have actually gone online. And after I was looking for new morphine online, (laughs) I I started looking for small towns that might be good candidates. Would you mind calling up the mayors of these towns to see, make the pitch? You're a very persuasive guy. I am. And so here are a couple of towns that I think are good candidates. Okay. Zor Village, Ohio, Z-O-A-R, population 169. 169? Uh, these people uh, are should be receptive to our pitch. Sure. Zor was founded by German religious dissenters called the Society of Separatists of Zor in 1817. Huh. It's named after the biblical village Lot and his family escaped to from Sodom. Wouldn't you think they would want to change yeah, their name from it's been a while. Zor? Yeah. No, I mean, right. too many lawyers, Ohio. Yeah. That has a ring to it. It does. And it's true. Everybody knows there are too many lawyers. Right. So would this you mind podcast call, is proof. Would you mind calling the mayor of Zor? Yeah, I'll call him up or her up. Okay. Or if we're going to report back next week up. on the podcast, find out how you, how you did. Yeah. And we'll work out a deal. Do they want a little money? Do they want us to come do the podcast from Zor? I mean, sure. from too many lawyers? Sure. We can do it. Yeah. We'll dicker with them. We'll right. dicker with the Zorites. Yeah. Okay? Right. Respectfully. Maybe. Oh. Uh, next candidate, Oatman, Arizona. Oat? Oatman? Seriously? Oatman. It sounds like a bad cereal, right? Oh, like Oatman. One word. Yeah, Oatman. I'm calling him Oatman okay, to make that's fun fine. of him to make him want to that's, change their name. <laughs> Population 128. It started as a small mining camp. We used to have 3,500 people, and after a $10 million gold strike hit in 1915, 1915 but the population has dwindled. So yeah. that's... You know, this is low-hanging fruit, Connor. Sure. You can do this, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, here's the next one. Hyder, Alaska. H-Y-D-E-R. Hyder, Alaska, population 87. That's a nice name. I like First that of name. all, it, the name, it sounds like a Me Too violation. Hyder, Hyder, sure. H-Y-D-E-R, Alaska. That sucks, okay? It's that name fine. is no good. Sure. Fine, Connor, when you when you pitch the mayor of Hyder, you're not going to say that's fine. No, it's like You're going to say there. in a diplomatic way, like this sucks. You should be too many lawyers, Alaska. Well, hopefully he doesn't come listen to the, the podcast where we're scheming to persuade. Oh God. Ball Town, Iowa is the next candidate. Okay, B-A-L-L-T-O-W-N. that one. B-A-L-L-T-O-W-N. Yeah, that one we can. We can uh, yeah, we I, I don't. On. I wouldn't want to live in Ball Town. Population 79. Oh, oh, here, this is important. It's home to Iowa's oldest bar. Okay. Who oh. cares, guys? The, your name sucks, Ball Town. <laughs> too many lawyers, Iowa. Yeah. Uh, we got two more here. Judd, North Dakota. J-U-D. Give me a break. Oh, where do you come from? Where were you born? Oh, Judd. Judd. No, Judd. Are you kidding? People just laugh at you if you said you came from Judd. Population 72. By the way, Connor, I hope they have a phone there because it's one quarter of a square mile large and it's surrounded by farmland. Okay. One quarter of a square mile. Yeah, that's it. So it's a tiny town. Wow. One quarter square mile. Sure this is like a block. You sure this is just Judd's house? 
<laughs> well, it's too many lawyers' house, okay? Soon, or it will be. Final candidate for you, Connor. You're going to be burning up the phone lines. Ohio Pile, Pennsylvania. Ohio Pile. I do not want the word pile in my town oh, that's name. That's not a good okay? name. It's a terrible name. Yeah. Population 59. Sure. Uh, it's, a, it's a Fayette County borough. Uh, it's got lots of tourists for some reason. I can't imagine who would. Oh, it's a popular weekend destination due to the Ohio Pile State Park and the Great Allegheny Passage Bicycle Trail. Oh, see, that's very nice. Yeah. And they're going to have more fun on their bikes if they are called Too Many Lawyers, Pennsylvania. And but, what, what if one of these tiny towns says, yeah, you can come do the show from here mm -hmm. if you come here and establish a residency for six months, live here for six months? Connor, you could do that. You could work remotely now. <laughs> You know, your legal work can be can it be done remotely? I, I mean, unless I'm going to trial. Yeah, well, so you leave Pile, Ohio Pile, whatever, <laughs> whatever that name was, Zor Village. Okay, these names all suck. You've you've got your work cut out for Agreed. you, Connor. Agree. And, and I really hope that you can report back to me and to our vast listening audience right. in a week to see if you've had uh, any progress on it. Yeah, we're kind of creeping up on our topics, Connor. We still have a little business we're to take them. care of. Yeah, we're circling the drain. I mean, we're circling them. <laughs> the topics, the circling topics. them. So uh, the, co the COVID antiviral pill is amazing. This isn't strictly mm -hmm. a legal topic, but I think this is amazing. Two companies, I think Merck and, and one other uh, company, mm -hmm. that come out with the antiviral pills, mm -hmm. which, you know, when you think about a bacterial infection, you take your antibiotic. Right. But if you've got a viral infection, if you've got a virus, the doctors have told us all our lives, oh, too bad, suck yeah. it up. You know, drink plenty of liquids, uh, or maybe you'll die. There but are there are some antivirals, but they don't work against every virus. They're yeah. you know hard targeted. Sometimes they can't get to the part of the body where a viral infection might be. Yeah, it's much much harder to deal with than it is an antibacterial. So, uh, are the anti-vaxxers going to refuse to take this pill because they don't like the idea of vaccine? You I know, mean, are Christian a, scientists going to say no? No, I'm going to pray yeah. the COVID away. Yeah, it's a real problem because the the, the anti-vaxxer, anti-mask, pro-COVID movement is not a cohesive group. They're not a model. Right, right. There are people who you know conspiracy theorists. There are people who. Uh, you know, are worried about specifically vaccines for some reason because they've been caught up in the anti-vaccine misinformation campaign, but they're more than willing to take a pill like, you know, ivermectin or something else, even though it's like a horse dewormer. They don't care. <laughs> the issue is with vaccines as a concept. Well, maybe it multitasks. It yeah. deworms horses and it cures COVID. Can't hurt, right? It can actually. It you know, can hurt I was, a lot. I was reading about Christian scientists. I didn't realize that. I always heard, well, you know, they just don't believe in medicine. Right. You know, some kid gets sick and yeah. the parents go to prison. Yeah. But apparently they actually do go to like an orthopedic surgeon. The kid, the Christian science kid breaks his arm. Right. They take him to the doctor. Yeah. But for some medical conditions, their attitude is, if we pray and go to the doctor, the prayer has less effect. And so their philosophy is uh, to get the maximum of effect of the prayer, which is the essence of their Mary Baker Eddy philosophy. Sure, yeah. The prayer will cure you. Yeah. They, they don't go to the doctor because it would dilute the strength of the prayer. But for some reason, I don't know, the, the, the Grand Poobah... Uh, the king of the Christian science church just come up with a list. Yeah. You can go for a broken leg, but you can't go for meningitis. Yeah, I think it was L. Ron Hubbard. He wrote all the rules. Well, oh, no, wait, hold no, on. That's that was different. Scientology. That's slightly different. Yeah, this is science in the name. Yeah, you'd 
like to see the Book of Mormon too. Uh, you'd like to see those Stealth Park guys make fun of the Mormons. It's a classic. W- wouldn't you, you know? On my uh, to watch uh, list for this next year, one I missed uh, was Philip Seymour Hoffman and Amy Adams in The Master. Uh, which I'm very much looking forward to. I don't know if you've heard of it, but I got rave reviews. Yes, I think Amy won the Best Supporting Actress or Best Leading Actress. Well, in she's it. great in everything. Yeah. Cool. She's amazing. That's true. She's incredible. That's true. She's fantastic. Absolutely. Top tier. Uh, why don't people, riddle me this, why don't people see the COVID issue, the vaccine issue, you know, social distancing yeah. as a medical question, not a political question? Yeah. Why is it so Doesn't everybody yeah. know? There's certain stupid people who don't realize, you know, oh, man, you know, Aunt Bertha could die. Right. But setting aside just people with low IQs, why do people get sucked into this idea that, oh, it's a political thing. The government's trying to boss me around, right, so I'm right, not going to take right. the pill. It's a medical issue. Why right. don't you just call up your doctor yeah. and say, do I take it or not? When yeah. do I take it? Right. How many? Absolutely. What kind? Yeah. I mean, why would people put their lives, their families' lives, their close friends on the line yeah. just because they think the government's bossing them around too much? It's because I think that it has been made a political issue. There are lots of countries where there's not a significant anti-mask movement. There's not a significant anti-vax movement uh, that that is so politically uh, entwined and enmeshed in the same way it is in America. When you've got places like Florida, where Ron DeSantis, the governor, is out there saying, you know, we're not afraid of the virus. You don't have to mask here. You don't have to. You know, we'll, we'll, uh, you, if you don't want to get the vaccine, that's fine. And there's no moral status to that decision. We'll just get you as much uh, monoclonal antibodies as you need uh, whenever you get sick. When people make it political, their followers who are signing up and drinking the Kool-Aid on that right. will join and flock behind. But and in that's his defense, uh, he may, and he's a pretty smart guy. I think DeSantis is like, you know, Harvard Medical, or Harvard Law School and Yale and all this. Yeah, that really does not make you smart, as well, we all know from this, law, got this pretty, podcast. probably got a pretty high IQ. But the thing is, I'm. Uh, let's assume for the moment that Ron DeSantis, being one of the smarty guys, has done some medical research and he's got all sorts of fancy medical input as governor of Florida. And maybe he everything he's advocating and urging people to do has solid medical basis in his mind. My worry is that the vast majority of people who aren't governors of a state like Florida, the vast majority of people who are wading into this and are so got so much angst going on about the political stuff and I don't want to be pushed around by the government. Right. It's so stupid not to just purely make it a medical thing. I mean, Absolutely. if you kind of if you didn't like the government telling you what to do, wearing a, a helmet, uh, then on your don't head, do it because or, or, the government told you to yeah, do it. Or, or, Instead, just do it because you come to the medical conclusion it's the right decision to do. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, where I'm going with that is the seatbelts, mandatory seatbelt sure. law. Do yeah. people say, well, the government's not going to tell me what to do, I'm, so I'm not going to wear my seatbelt? I have a God given right to crash through that windshield yes. and kill myself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to let those people in Washington tell me when to buckle my seat. That's so stupid. It's yes. not a political political issue. It's a personal safety issue. Yeah. You and your kids want to save your lives by not flying through the freaking yeah. windshield, right? But, I mean, a lot of people would tell you it's virtue signaling, right? As some people are loath to whip out a term like that. Uh, but the idea that you are projecting to the world that you're one of the smart ones, that you're ahead of the curve, that you're better than other people, that you're smarter than other people, that you're more independent and free and care more about your personal freedom, that you're braver than other people. These are all things that the political, right-wing political machine primarily has put pushed uh, in order to undermine 
the you know unity of a pro-vaccine, pro-social distancing, pro-personal sacrifice movement, because those things suck. Who wants to run on personal sacrifice? That's really hard. Mm -hmm. The Democrats don't even do a good job of running on personal sacrifice and communalism, doing the right thing, you know, love thy neighbor. The Democrats don't even run on that. The Democrats are forced to run on a wussy version of the Republican platform. The Republican platform being, you're a cowboy, you're a hero, you're the protagonist of the story, everything that you decide goes, and no one should be able to tell you how to live your life. Freedom's the most important thing. That's how Republicans run run the show in government, and that's why they keep winning despite being in the minority. And guess what? The Democrats run just a bad version of that, and they also just sort of nip at the heels of the Republicans on that narrative, on that story, that you're a cowboy, you're a hero, you're the protagonist. Guess what? You're not. We're drones. We're gears. We're cogs in a machine, okay? We're communal. It's a society. It takes a village. I'm sorry, Barack Obama was right. You didn't build that. You have to think of yourself as part of a larger whole and how to protect other people and and care for other people. The value that we place on each other's lives is the true measure of the advancement of society. It's not how many widgets factories crank out. It's not what the GDP is per capita. It's not any of these ridiculous, insane uh, Wall Street measures of success. Society and the quality of our you know, nation and our world and, and, and humanity is judged by how we help and care for those least fortunate. And that requires personal sacrifice and it requires thinking of us as a big communal hive of ants that where we all do our part to help each other. And that includes personal sacrifice. And that does not buy votes. I'll tell you what. Holy cow, it does not. But I'm a cowboy. I'm a hero. I'm the protagonist. That gets you votes. So when we come back, we are going to talk about the Maxwell conviction. Uh, but there's a surprise story uh, we want to talk about even before we get there. So you're going to have to wait through the break. But you're also you're going to have to wait through Connor telling you how to rate and subscribe this year podcast. Yeah, New Year's resolution, everybody. It's January 2022. Yeah, but Connor, nobody actually follows up on oh, their dang New it. Year's okay. resolution. New Year's resolution. Don't go on your favorite podcast platform uh, and leave us a subscription uh by clicking the join or subscribe or like button or the heart button or whatever the, the app of choice has, don't leave us a comment, don't rate us five stars, and don't tell a friend. We'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Laurel Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, uh, before we get to the G. Lane Maxwell conviction story, uh, the Elizabeth Holmes story. Oh, yeah. Um, the, uh, the trial's been going on uh, for four months. The jury has been deliberating for 40 hours, and people are getting pretty antsy about yeah. this. Uh, the jury took uh, last Thursday and Friday leading up to New Year's off. Uh, Monday, uh, they are going to resume the deliberations. This is Sunday, so when this podcast drops Wednesday, we may have a verdict. But We, we said that last one. week. <laughs> yeah, we don't have one yet. And it's interesting. Um, people are saying, oh, why are they taking so long? Uh, they actually did a little study of other white-collar trials. Mm-hmm. Um, the Conrad Black, 14 weeks, 12 days deliberation. Uh, Dennis Kozlowski, 17-week trial, 11 days of deliberation. Uh, the Jeffrey Skilling, Ken Lay trial, 15 weeks of trial, 6 days. So it's not it's not crazy. Unheard of. Compared to other white-collar crimes. There's a lot to review. Yeah, white-collar sure. crime uh, uh, trials are, are really messy. So uh, it's too early to panic. Plus, if the jury really were sort of creeping up on a deadlock, they would have sent out frustrated signals questions and questions. to the judge. So hey, how do we break this deadlock? Hey, can we do this? Can we do that? So New York Times had a piece uh, just uh, today with uh, the Holmes trial about the numbers. It's really kind of neat. Not only did they mention, you know, four months into this trial. And by the way, this is about the lady that 
that claimed that she could uh, uh, prick your finger, get one drop of blood, and uh, through that tell you whether you've got any of 200 conditions. And in fact, that's literally impossible. She yeah. couldn't do it. And mm-hmm. so, but here by the numbers, there are 11 fraud charges against her. 20 years she could face for each charge. But Whoa. if she's convicted on all, probably she'd serve them concurrently all at the same time, not one after the other. Um, three jurors, Connor, were dismissed since the trial started. So the judge is starting to panic a little bit, running out of people. Because yep. if they, you know, you can drop one juror below 12, but if you go below that, sometimes the the conviction wouldn't be upheld, so they might have to start over. Anyway, one person you may remember was dumped off the jury because she said to the judge in the middle of the trial, you know, I'm a Buddhist, and I don't think I can really punish anybody. I'm not put on this earth to punish. <laughs> oh, th- thanks for telling us now. Now, you're a little Mrs. late. Mrs. Schmedlap, why don't you just leave? Yeah. One was dismissed, Connor, for playing Sudoku during testimony. Sure. You can't blame him. It, pro- it gets a little dry. It's true, it does, yeah. But, I mean, I can't even solve those Sudoku when, puzzles when I don't have the distraction of being in a high-profile trial as a juror with sure, a whole yeah. world watching the numbers, me. numbers, So, yeah, so they, she was sent out. Hate it. 34 seats in the courtroom. Uh, the seats are known uh, as the hottest ticket in Silicon Valley. People get up uh, at 3 a.m. was the arrival time of the person who got the last seat wow. for a recent day. People are paying 50 bucks an hour. I didn't know that was legal to pay somebody uh, 50 bucks an hour to stand in line sure. so, so you could get in. Uh, and 449 pages of text messages between Elizabeth Holmes and her ex-boyfriend and business partner, Ramesh Balwani. She claims that he yeah. uh, was the Svengali who gotta, gotta, convinced her to do all this stuff. One piece of important lawyerly advice is uh, that I've, I've received is that write every email like it will be read aloud in court <laughs> to a later. jury. Yeah. yeah. Excellent uh, and advice. And the same, unfortunately, tragically applies to text messages between uh, bows, uh, boyfriends and girlfriends, mm-hmm. uh, when they are the founders of, um, uh, shady, uh, s- financial startups. And, uh, and yeah, that's a, that's a real dangerous thing. Hopefully nothing too, uh, personal and lurid in that text message file. Yeah, so that, those text messages could be critical uh, to the verdict, which uh, probably we'll get this week. All right, so let's get to the Maxwell conviction. So mm-hmm. uh, this lady was convicted on uh, five of the six counts. Uh, she could be looking at decades behind bars. She's 60. Uh, if you, Depending on how you add it up, it could be 80 years behind bars. So yeah. that's 140. Man, yeah. that's, that's going to be virtual, virtually a virtual, life sentence. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they do this because... Um, uh, well, obviously, because that's how it works. You, you get assigned lots of years for doing really bad things, regardless of whether you're uh, older or younger. But additionally, they stack them up uh, that way because, say, she appeals, all right? And she appeals and, and uh, uh, one of the witnesses recants. Yeah, or uh, one or count is tossed out. One count right. is tossed out. The others will remain. So it's not pointless to have concurrent life sentences running. Uh, it is effective. She will be challenging these uh, in the courts for the rest of her life. Uh, so having multiple layers of conviction, multiple charges on which she went down, uh, is actually a meaningful uh, thing, even though it won't meaningfully change the number of years she spends behind. So, so were you surprised that she was convicted? Because for a time I was thinking, well, you know, she might have a shot at it. She had a couple of arguments. Number one is the defense theme was, I'm not Jeffrey Epstein, okay? Yeah. He's a bad man. You wanted him. He killed himself in prison. And so now instead of him, you're going after me. 
And apparently the jury didn't buy that. But yeah, there there were some problems with the prosecution's case. They had four accusers Mm -hmm. and a couple of them, actually all of them had some inconsistent statements. You know, you say one thing to the cops on day one, you say second thing to the investigators a year later and a third thing when you testify at trial. For example, uh, one of the young women who said, oh, yes, Maxwell was part of it. She was right there in the room. She, that's what she said at trial. She never mentioned Maxwell's name to the cops. Mm. And she's, oh, well, I guess it slipped my mind. You know, that kind of thing could work. Would you, were you surprised that the jury said, yeah, nice try, lady. You're going to prison for the rest of your life? No. I mean, I think in a case like this where there is a lot of evidence, even if there are inconsistencies, especially inconsistencies that uh, occur you know, over the course of testimony about stuff that happened years ago, years and years ago, especially when these victims were in their early teens. I mean, some of them, a lot of them very, very young in traumatic circumstances. Uh, Prosecution has very good arguments that, look, the details get fuzzy over time. The details get fuzzy by the fact that people repress these memories. But the gist of it is there. And the evidence overall is strong. And there's not really any reason why these people would be motivated to lie about this. And we do have all this evidence. I mean, in every well, Some of them are, are filing civil lawsuits uh, for defamation or, or against the estate, against Maxwell herself. So theoretically, they could have a motivation to lie. This is true. That is uh, that is also part of it. It's true. And but I really, think- overall, the fact that it's such a large um high-profile case, just a massively in-the-news case, uh, and obviously the connection to Jeffrey Epstein um, means that, you know, she does get tarred with that same brush uh, when you, you know, aid and abet somebody who does these horrific things. The defense's argument, hey, she's not that guy, uh, she's, she, you know, the the, the the well is poisoned. Yeah. It, it, and especially when it comes to uh, a situation such as this one and the Bill Cosby deal, where there's so many accusers, even you ha- if you have a few, I mean, theoretically, you know, the very best star witnesses are the ones that the prosecution put up right. in, into the trial. But, you, you know, people, I think, get the idea, even though they may claim, you know, I didn't read too much about the trial, but they get the sense, they get the sense as in Cosby, that there are many, many people right. who accuse this person. I, I think in a civil case context, uh, where I had experience trying cases for a long time, uh, the credibility issue is more powerful than yeah, this, yeah. the kind of situation you described where it's a high-profile uh, criminal case and so on. Because in a civil case, you know, everybody's out for the money. Yeah. You know, trying to save True. money or trying to... And if you get a, a disconnect between what somebody said in their deposition and what they said at trial, you can, as a defense lawyer, you can blow it up and really ram a truck through through the uh, plaintiff's case because it shows the jury that this person's not trustworthy. This person lied in this respect. You can't really trust anything they say. They've got this huge motivation to lie. So, you know, the credibility issue uh, is is huge in civil cases, maybe not so much uh, in the criminal context. Mm Mm-hmm. The big issue now, Connor, is whether or not Ms. Maxwell is going to say, oh, well, that's interesting. So I'm about to be sentenced to 80 years and I'm 60 now. Maybe I'd like to talk to prosecutors about some stuff I know. Like, about. I don't know all of the men mm-hmm. to whom Epstein trafficked these women. I mean, that's famous men. These are rich the big men. juicy targets. Right. These are the ones who right. 
also did crimes just like Ghislaine Maxwell did and are currently out there walking around. And everybody knows that Epstein ran this whole thing and they want to know names. They want to hear the stuff that Ghislaine knows. So she's in the catbird seat in that sense in terms of what she can use to leverage, uh, you know, against uh, the prosecutors uh, to get uh, a, a better deal. And really, when it comes to it, the question uh, in all our uh, minds might have been, oh, why didn't she testify in her own on her own behalf during her trial? Well, that might be the answer because she didn't want to have to give away any cards. Right. Because if she did testify, she would have said, I'm innocent. I did nothing wrong. Jeffrey did nothing. Wrong. I don't know anything about this. And then if it turns out she was lying, A, she could be charged with perjury. perjury sure. And but B, if she wanted to wheel and deal with the prosecutors and say, OK, now I'm going to tell you about Prince Andrew. The prosecutors would say, um, how, how much credibility are you going to have talking about Prince Andrew when you testified and you said, I don't know anything about anybody? Yeah, nobody did anything. There yeah. were no other there were no men who, to whom I sex trafficked women uh, or girls or anybody else. Absolutely. She'd be undermining herself with her own testimony. Hence, uh, mom's the word took the fifth, did not testify in the criminal trial. Yep. When we come back, we're going to talk about Karen's in the air. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roy Lopes. And I'm Connor Rose. So I don't know if we should call this lady a, a Karen in the air or not. Her name, uh, Connor, is Patricia Cornwall. She's a former NFL cheerleader, Playboy, huh. mo- pay- Playboy model, and Baywatch actress. Whoa. She went postal on a Delta flight. Uh, she picked on an 80-year-old guy. She's about 40, I think. Oh, my God. Um, she did not like the fact that this uh, elderly gentleman was um, not uh, masked on the oh. flight, on the Delta flight. And she yells at him. She says, put your mask on, yeah. Grandpa. Which, I mean, yelling at somebody who's not wearing their mask in a public place, especially on an airplane, is understandable. Like, that level zero, I mean, it, you don't get on the news for doing that, so I'm sure we're going to get worse than this. But right. I, I, I'm very sympathetic to somebody. As somebody who has yelled at people in scenarios where they're being unsafe with their masks, I, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I get it. Yeah, but you didn't have the baggage of the Playboy model. The guy was eating, and he ah. said to her, I'm eating, ma'am. Mm, and the rules say you and can by eat the way, while you take your mask off. Temporarily, you take your mask off. Yeah, and by okay. the way, she was not masked as she was yelling at him. What? She was not wearing her mask, and he had an excuse okay. for not. Okay, All so right. now it gets worse. All right. She uh, is really getting worked up about this guy, oh, and she no. keeps screaming, put on your mask. She goes over to him. She says, stand up. And he, and he says, I'm not standing up, Karen. And so she leans down. She slaps him on the face. Oh, my God. And he says, now you're going to jail. Yep. When we land, you're going to jail. He's correct. And th- he calls her a GD Karen. Well, she does not like being <laughs> sweared at. I love this 80-year-old dude knows yeah. about calling people Karens. That's and, awesome. And so then, then she spits on in his face. Oh, Jesus. And now he says... You're going to jail double, yeah, okay? Double jail for you. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Now, th- this is this is kind of fun too. Uh, she, uh, the stewardess gets involved. The stewardess says, oh, please sit down to the Karen. Yeah. The Karen says, what am I, Rosa Parks? Now, that's a pretty cool reference. The black lady who was told to sit in the back of the bus in the segregated South in the 50s. But listen to the codger's response, Connor. Yeah. The 80-year-old says to the Karen, when she says, what am I, Rosa Parks? He says, hey, you're not black. This isn't Alabama. And this isn't a bus. (laughs) So this guy... 
<laughs> he knows he that. should have a podcast. He should get him on the pod. Absolutely. We yeah. should really do that. So Holy she didn't cow. take that well. What so she I, says, stand your ass I, up. Rosa Parks? Yeah. And he oh, no. she calls him an effing piece of blank. Wow. Put your effing mask on, she yells, as she was not wearing a mask. Oh. So in the last year, I was driving people crazy. About fifty eight hundred unruly passenger Broken reports have come in, and about four thousand of them, three quarters of them related to masks uh, on airlines. So here's the question for you, Connor. Uh, she's taken over, taken by the FBI when she lands at Hartsfield Airport Naturally. in Atlanta. Should she be banned for life? A lot of airlines have started to put some people on a no-fly list. Yeah. If they just get too drunk, and yeah. too wild and crazy, yeah. sorry. Now, I think it would be kind of fun yeah. to say to Karen, oh, you want to you know, go from New York to San Francisco? Just get on a Greyhound bus, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. and behave yourself yeah, yeah, yeah. in the Greyhound bus. Or maybe Amtrak, something like that. Yeah, uh, You look, think it's fair to have a lifetime bans for well, some of the, after she gets out of prison? Yeah, first off, people who commit violent crimes, like assault, on airplanes, that seems like a pretty straightforward ground for me. Mm-hmm. The, the tougher ones are, you know, angry confronta- confrontations, drunken disorderly. I think those are a, a tougher call, but also probably uh, airlines should, you know, be free to ban people for life, especially since there are lots of airlines and you can just go to another one. Now, if they or you F- buy a Buick or you buy Buick and start driving, be like or, the astronaut ladies, put your diaper on. You won't even have to stop at Smuckers and absolutely. the Ramada Inn. Yeah. Now, if, if the FAA is you know banning passengers across all airlines, that becomes a tougher question. But there are still Greyhound buses and trains. It's not like we're locking people in their homes here. We're just saying, you know, uh, you, you can't fly. Big picture. I am much more of a uh, avoid for life determinations of stuff (laughs) because for life is a long time. And like 10 years is also a long time. Sounds like a mass incarceration problem. Yeah. Like, can't you just carry on on the Greyhound? Can't you accomplish the, the same thing by banning this woman from flying for 10 years or 15 years? That's an incredible, unbelievable amount of time. It's pretty much the same thing, but it does offer people sort of a path to redemption. So in other words, you're soft on crime. I'm soft on crime. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the judge um, in Atlanta says to her, okay, $20,000 bond. Uh, you posted it uh, there at the arraignment. Uh, he, he said, you may fly only to go home, only to go home. I think when she flies home, uh, we should give her the entire first class cabin just to be on the safe side. That is. Don't yeah, you, yeah, you don't think? want anybody to spit on. It's true. But yeah, because uh, hopefully she won't be. Drinking, he said, no no alcohol, no drugs. I think he should make an exception. He should let her take Prozac. Take some Prozac. Because yeah, she's got to be able yeah. to calm down. Maybe so, a couple ambient. By the way, she is kind of troubled. She was arrested for a DUI, crashed her car into a tree in California a month ago. So sure. she, she's having a bad 2021 was not yeah. a good year. Yeah, for, and she's going to turn it Karen. all around. I have confidence that Karen is going to turn it all around. All right, last topic, the jury selection rules. They are a-changing. So here's the background. California has a new law that says that lawyers who are picking a jury, they have free strikes. Um, Called peremptory strikes. Peremptory challenges. You get a certain number of them. You you don't have to explain to the judge. You just say, please, thank, and excuse. Mrs. Schmedlap, juror number three. You don't have to explain. However, in the 1980s, the U.S. Supreme Court came along and said, you know what? That whole free strike thing, it's nice, but... 
if you are uh, racially motivated, if yeah. the lawyer is, is doing this because right. he wants to get rid of people of color, that's not permitted. So yeah, or uh, white people, whatever, just on the basis of race, right, is, right. you're not allowed to do it. So how do you how do you do this? How do you read minds? What happens is uh, the lawyer says, please thank and excuse the juror. Uh, the other lawyer, the other side gets to say, Your Honor, I, I believe that this was racially motivated and yeah. I'm, I'm challenging that. Yeah, it's called a Batson challenge. Right. That's the name of the Supreme Court case. At that point, the judge looks to the person who struck the juror and said, OK, I want you to explain to me, given the other side's comment, yeah. why you did. Why usually you, you don't. Steve? Yeah, usually you don't have to explain yeah. it. Absolutely. It's totally yeah. up to you. One lawyer says he struck eight African-Americans in a row, Your mm -hmm. Honor. So yeah. I'd like to hear another reason. Yeah, and then the other lawyer has to go, oh, well, one of them said he was from Biloxi, Mississippi, and that's also where the defense from. And, and, the, and the other one is a cop, and there's a cop involved in this case, so I, I don't and want the, him on there. The and, third one looked at me dirty. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can, your your explanation can be, yeah. I didn't like the look of him, or man, he just sort of had, gave, looked kind of shifty and uh, disreputable, and uh, gave me the stink eye. Whatever, I don't know. But you do have to convince the judge that you're not doing this for an unsavory reason, a reason that's on the list of forbidden reasons yeah. so and and that's what that's the new uh, development here california's legislature has expanded the list mm -hmm. of forbidden, forbidden reason. reasons yeah. from race to include also gender gender identity sexual orientation and national origin religious affiliations so right. now for all those reasons the other side can say judge i think i think he's biased yeah uh, that's a trial, challenge as a trial lawyer are you comfortable with that because it's a pretty important um, arrow in the quiver of the trial lawyer to be able to use his or her instinct and mm -hmm. sort of sensibility about, mm -hmm. you know, who, what kind of jurors am I looking for? Yeah. Uh, do you think it, it's okay to, to sort of head Expand down a road the list, where there yeah. really won't be much by way of peremptory challenges well, and just if be you whoever get, you get? If you get to a point where you don't have the peremptory challenges, that's a problem for sure. Uh, it might be a problem that is not as bad as the cure. It's possible uh, that peremptory challenges as a solution uh, are inextricably linked with the biases of the lawyers using, using utilizing them. And it's possible uh, that it, it will, uh, you know, that, that these jurors are being uh, discriminated against all day, every day, and there's just logistically no good way to track it down. And so increasing the rules uh, and restrictions such that effectively, eventually you out law peremptory strikes might be the way to go. The problem, however, is that peremptory strikes can be a very valuable way for criminal defendants, especially, but also civil defendants, to protect themselves from the criminal legal system, which often over-incarcerates and just brings the hammer down on defendants because people's inclination is, I have power, I must use it, I want to punish, I'm going to send him to jail for years, I'm going to give huge verdicts for no reason, as we hear in frivolous lawsuit cases. And these are, you know, the, the, these are the problems. And it, I mean, it could, it could victimize people on the other side, too. People who are suing and trying to get money also use those peremptory challenges to make sure that they have a jury that will work for them. But it, it, is, a, it is a real question. Is a peremptory challenge a valuable thing? Now, as for society at large. It's obviously a valuable thing for the individuals engaged in the game of litigation, definitely. And as a defense lawyer uh, or any lawyer, I'd look at this and say, hey, I need my tools, right? These are the toolbox I, I learned in law school and, and, and working to work with. I really need those tools. But thinking from a different perspective, a policy perspective, zooming out, it's entirely possible that peremptory challenges are just inevitably going to be a manifestation of bias. Yeah, I hope not because, you know... I 
jurors have power. They oh, have yeah. life and death power. They can decide if somebody lives or dies, if you have a capital punishment situation, as rare as that is, or in any criminal context, whether you're going to spend 20 or 30 years behind mm, yeah. bars, or whether you're going to be devastated financially, yep. forced into bankruptcy. These are huge powers. And yeah. my problem is, I think a, a party to a court case should have extremely broad, broad discretion to try to ferret out law jurors who are lying, who are not going to be fair. Right. Having tried a lot of cases and talked to a lot of jurors, I know that they're not always really forthcoming and honest. Yeah. And unfortunately, my idea of a lie detector machines is they have not been embraced by the court system which is crazy i'd say i'm not saying you can admit evidence of a failure to pass the polygraph test and therefore you should go to jail i'm just saying jurors should be sent home if the machine says they're damned liars you sure? I mean, I'm going to write I, my congressman. You should write the oh, congressman. Oh, wait. It's Adam, it's if, Adam Schiff. If we, Forget if, it. He's not even going to open the envelope when he sees the return address. If he, uh, if, if we I'll put if your we, name on the return you. address. Yeah. If we only found a, a real, actual way to do a lie detector test that was meaningfully, uh, had meaningful results of any kind, uh, I might even be on board. But unfortunately, uh, they're not admissible. Uh, as, Maybe as 2022 will they, see a breakthrough. Yeah. I will say the, the, the thing about... Um, the thing about the voir, dire, the voir dire process is you can uh, spend more time and allow lawyers, that is, to spend more time doing intense jury selection voir dire questioning, and that will bear fruit if the lawyers know what they're doing. I ask a lot of questions in voir dire. I talk to every juror who is potentially going to be on the panel, an alternate, or even deep in the list, a long list of potentials who might end up on the panel. And all those questions are seeking to get you know, at this juror's worldview, how they view the criminal system or the civil system, in my case, how they view punishment, how they view you know judges and lawyers or the defendant or the plaintiff. And you ferret out a lot of information because you're trying to dig up these nuggets of, of info, answers that you can take note of, and then talking to the judge, say, judge, I'd like to strike this juror for cause, meaning before we even get to peremptory challenges where you can, you know, strike somebody for no reason uh, and don't have to explain, uh, you know, why your gut feeling is this guy's going to be bad for me or good for me. Um, before we ever get there, you go through the for cause challenges and you might say, ask this person, oh, you have any experience with law enforcement? And they say, oh, yeah, I my brother's a cop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he uh, he's a, a, a great guy and cops are great people. And, you know, they put their lives on the line and save everybody. And, 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 and I really love cops. And if this is a criminal case, then you're going to be able to make a four cause strike and talk to the judge and say, look, they're going to they're going to believe anything the cop uh, witness says. As soon as a guy in a, uh, a uniform sits on that uh, stand, their their testimony is obviously going to be heavily skewed, way uh, out of bounds amount skewed towards the person who's wearing a uniform. And that process of of uh, uh, of voir dire, that information ferreting for cause strikes, that is an important protection. Yeah, that and good luck. Have a lot of and, and good luck have. because judges don't grant them. They, you and I know judges don't grant them. They when do Charles sometimes. Manson's on trial for murder, yeah. and in the jury box, what a coincidence! It's Squeaky Fromm, <laughs> and the uh, the prosecution's thinking, "Oh, this is, this is an easy slam dunk, one. Your Honor, for cause." We'd, yeah. ask, we'd ask you to dismiss Ms. Yeah. Squeaky, and you know what the judge says? The judge, says, just a second, Ms. Fromm. Now I know you've had you know some involvement. It's a, 
would you be able to listen fairly and objectively mm-hmm. to the, all the evidence yeah. and set aside your prior yeah. familiarity yeah. with it and having been hypnotized by and mesmerized by Mr. Matt? <laughs> yes, Your Honor, I, I really think I could. <laughs> well, the judge looks down at the prosecutor. It's good enough for me, sir, if you'd like to use one of your precious peremptory. Oh, they're all gone, aren't they? Well, yeah. to see, that's my problem that's with right. relying on. I, I actually had cause. a case recently where a judge who was very good. Um, was was presiding over a case that I was handling. And despite him being a very good judge, we did have an issue that arose in uh, the case where I thought he was a little bit too generous towards the potential for a juror to be um, uh, to be uh, to be fair and impartial based mm-hmm. on her history. Uh, but he did eventually come down on the right side of things. We just had to go back and forth with the other uh, lawyer. And I, and I did eventually get her struck for cause. She uh, neglected to uh, raise her hand or voice when we were running running through the applicable witnesses list, asking, hey, do you know any of these people? And then after we've picked our jury and after the opening statement, she's on the panel, not an alternate, on the panel. She says to the judge, judge, can you know, can we talk privately? So we excuse the other jurors. And she says, I missed the name previously, but the surgeon that you mentioned uh, who was going to be testifying for the plaintiffs uh, against Connor, against me, the surgeon who's going to be your expert witness. Oh, yeah. He saved my foot. My foot was severed Automatic. 20 years ago. Automatic. Severed. Out of there. And Send her home. Four Arrest her, as a matter of fact. <laughs> four doctors told me I was going to lose my foot. And oh, I went to him and he said, God. no, I'll save your foot. And then he followed up and we both worked in the same hospital because she was a nurse. And he would send his nurses to go spy on her to make sure she wasn't wow. walking on the foot. And he, you know, she loved him. And and the judge says, are, do you think you could be impartial? And she says, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. He, see, are you kidding me? He really <laughs> said that? So the judge and I and opposing counsel all go back into chambers and we're talking about it. And I'm going, Your Honor, did you take on. his gavel and hit him over the head with it? I hope. Like you could not construct a law school hypothetical question where yeah. a juror is more biased than that. than four out of five dentists agree. So my foot's gone. This is the only one who wanted to save it. Holy crap. Like th- when we had to have an argument about it, you're right. Four cause strikes are and he way was underutilized. Eventually, he eventually did the right came thing. Came to the right conclusion, and oh you know, God. even even opposing counsel eventually said, "Oh yeah, I guess maybe we could give her." So <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll give you my little war story. It's not exactly on on point. It's about jury selection, but it doesn't have to do with the bias so much. So this is a trial I had several years ago, and I was working really hard getting ready for the trial. Yeah, way too hard, like sleep deprivation mm. time. Okay, nice. And I paid the price. Oh no, we're in jury selection. I'm representing Farmers Insurance, and on the panel is a guy who is a straight-laced, clean-cut guy and turns out, oh, what do you do for a living, sir? You know, well, I actually used to work for Farmers Insurance several years ago. Oh, my God. What was your experience? It was wonderful. I mean, they were fabulous people. They were really fair and really neat. Oh, thank you. Greatest juror of all time. Glad to hear. Let's move on. (laughs) Then we get down to a juror who is like Jerry Garcia on a really bad day. Mm -hmm. The tie dye, the long hair. The guy is straight out of the 60s. Filthy hippie. Hates the man. Of course. And who's more the man than an insurance yeah. company. And so I'm sitting there thinking, well, this is an easy one. Yeah. And so uh, comes time to make the peremptory challenges. And because I had been sleep deprived, oh, no. I mix the numbers of oh, the two no. guys up. And so I say, Your Honor, please thank and excuse the juror number seven. And the judge looks at me like, oh, wow, Royal, I thought you were an idiot. Now I know you're an <laughs> idiot. Okay. And so uh, 
I'm, he says, okay, get out of here, Mr. Seven. So I'm, you know, dozing off and my head is dropping on yeah. the council table because of the sleep deprivation. At least that's my excuse. And about a minute later, I'm, I look up and I look over and I see the hippie still in the jury box kind of glaring at me. And I'm thinking to myself, why is he still here? Yeah. I, oh, oh, my no. goodness. I had mixed them up. And you Meantime, the lawyer who was uh, working with me on the case, the so-called second chair, yeah. he is doing Sudoku Probably. or something. Not saving your butt. Yeah. And so I realize, okay, I've screwed up big time. And yeah. during the next break, I say to the <clears throat> my colleague, uh, you saw what happened there, a little mistake I made. Uh, right. well, why didn't you mention something when I said, juror number seven, get the hell out of here, never darken our door again. Right. He said, Oh, well, I figured you knew what you're doing, dude. He's also a Jerry Garcia. So then the punchline is we go through the whole trial and I'm panicking. I'm getting a little more sleep. I'm trying to make eye contact with Jerry Garcia, you know, smiling. And I'm using all sorts of hippie references and drug references that I I know (laughs) he'll really understand. You know, talking about methamphetamine. I don't know what I did. But anyway, so it comes time. Hippies love meth. Yeah. The the evidence (laughs) is done. The final arguments are in. The jury has been instructed. And the judge says, now it's time to pick uh, the real 12 members of the jury because what he had done was he Smart. Had gotten yeah. 16 jurors and right. he said to them at the big uh, at the beginning of the trial i'm not going to tell you which of you will be the magic yeah. 12 some judges do that way i think it's great because yeah. the, the alternates won't pay much attention oh yeah they totally check out yeah yeah, yeah. so everybody, i would yeah <laughs> so what he does he takes all 16 numbers and he puts them in a bottle and he has the clerk pull sure. out yeah. the first 12 and she you know number one cindy you're yeah. going to be on the panel number yeah, two Bert, you know yeah. and i'm thinking to myself oh, well God. there's yeah, no the way yeah. there's no way no i way. know the hippie's going to be on course, the jury he gets down to 10 11 he's still that oh my goodness number 12 is the name is picked or the number is picked number 12 was betty lou nice. oh i couldn't believe it the hippie is not on the jury he's and then it gets an better yeah. now the jury says now the judge says now we're going to pick out uh the last four numbers right. in order and so you'll based on your number uh, yeah. one through four you'll be the alternate that goes in if a person gets sick yeah. or if a second person gets sick the hippie was dead last nice. number 16 when nice. he stormed out of the courtroom rage he, I'm sure. he gave me a death glare it was just like the damn and you were like but i said the word weed yeah didn't yeah. you like it when i said weed yeah so anyway that's uh it, the it life of a lawyer pretty, high drama pretty well we got time for guess the verdict connor you Let's ready for this yep so america's favorite game show i uh, give connor the facts of a case he gets to guess who wins the case and uh, we have a bell that will be uh struck if he if he i'll let you know what the bell sounds like that's what you're going to hear if connor gets it right are you ready connor you know it okay um most people like it when folks come up to him and say hey you know you look like tom cruise yeah of course or you look like lebron james for sure yeah for sure well not alan ray heckard he's from portland oregon and he's sued uh, Michael Jordan, the uh, the big basketball star from years past, and Nike, um, because Nike promoted Jordan. He sued both of them for $800 oh million dollars because he says he looks so much like Michael Jordan, he has been confused for Michael Jordan uh, every day for the last 15 <laughs> years. And it really it might have been fun for a week or two. Yeah. 15 years? Yeah. Okay. It, it really is, fills his gourd. It has caused him permanent injury, sure. emotional pain, and suffering. So he sued for 
over $800 million. Yeah. So, Connor, uh, I think you're an astute split, observer of the legal scene. Who do you think might win this They give him case? $400 million just, just you know, to just okay. to make the case go away. Okay, I'm going to be Regis Philbin. Final answer? No, no, oh, not final oh, okay, answer. Good. Give me the bell. I want to with it. Sure, the there's bell. the bell. Thank you. Obviously, he loses. You're absolutely. How did you do that? You know, how did you do genius. that? I'm a legal genius. Okay, well, you're right. We're going to give you the official bell. Thank you very much. You got that one right. Thank you. Next week, I'll ask you a tougher maybe one. Maybe a okay? tougher one. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope everybody has a wonderful week. And maybe, Happy New Year. Maybe next week, Connor, we'll have an Elizabeth Holmes uh, verdict God to uh, talk about. See you soon, folks.